Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And usually the interviews that I do are with people who create software companies. And it seems like the only way to succeed right now, right? You come up with an idea, whether you turn it into an app or a web app or whatever, doesn't matter, but you do that and then it scales. Joining me is someone, well, Nick Mako discovered that there are a lot of people who, who have photos, who have VHS tapes and have other legacy digital products that want them digitized, turned into DVDs or turned into uh, files that they could put on their computers. And he built this company off of that idea. And frankly, I would have thought it would be a small business. I would have thought it would be the kind of thing that competes with a local copy shop. Nick, I'm looking at your face as I say this. I, I, I wouldn't have known how big your business would have gotten. All right, Nick Marco yeah. is the founder of Legacy Box. I can't believe how big the company has gotten. It's an all-in-one mailed kit to preserve outdated tapes, films, pictures, and audio recordings. I invited him here to figure out how he did it and to learn from him. And we could do it thanks to two phenomenal companies. The first, if you're hosting a website, or if you've got a new idea for a company and you need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And the second, when you're ready to hire developers, you got to try out toptal.com slash Mixergy. But I'll tell you later why you need to do that first. Nick, good to have you here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Hit me with the revenue. What can you say about it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think we necessarily saw the, the scale potential of this company when we started. So we started with modest goals in college, but yeah, it's, it's tremendous how much it's grown. So I don't like to reveal the exact number of what, what our revenue is, but I guess I'd just say it's between 40 and 100 million in annual revenue. And we continue to see heavy, you know, pretty healthy growth every single year. Tens of millions of dollars, profitable yes. business consistently, right? Right, Yes. And you and your co-founder own 100%. There's no outside investors. There, were, there was a little bit of outside equity, which you bought out, and we'll talk about that. Here's the other right. thing. I would also worry, and I'll find out why it did so well, but I'd also worry that it's going to go away, that people don't have old legacy. Mm. Did Why are you making that face? Good. Tell me. Reassure me. Yeah. Where's the future of this? I mean, I, all of the, all the market studies on this show that there's just millions of these things rotting away in people's attics and shoeboxes across the country and, and across the world, frankly. So when we look at it, we see a long shelf life. I mean, most of the market studies say that this is going to quadruple in size over the next decade. And a lot of that's created by awareness. Like you just cannot even play these old formats anymore. And so your awareness as a consumer just increases immediately when all of a sudden, you go to maybe relive that Christmas memory and you can't, you, you just cannot play it. And so, you, so now you know you need to do something with it. So yeah, I think obviously there's a finite number of, of analog formats in the world, mm -hmm. but that number is tremendous. And I think we're just scratching the surface. Really? And you think that it's growing that as people go back, they start to see that the sold media is going to go away unless they digitize it. And so they're, they're going to feel yeah. a sense of urgency. Yeah, exactly. And there is a sense of urgency. If they don't do something about it, you know, they may, they may lose it. Because even DVDs or CDs will, will expire, right? I've, I've had some that I kept forever. I thought I was doing the right thing, but they just stopped working. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's true too. I think there's also new formats that are getting created every day uh, that people need help making those transitions with. That, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. If you think about the pains you went through, or your, or your parents went through in meticulously caring for that photo album. 
and making sure all the right photos were in it and it's curated and it's safe. We don't really have anything like that. Even in the digital world, I feel like no one, I mean, Apple is trying, Facebook is trying, people are trying to create some tools to help you corral and organize just Mm -hmm. all this digital media that's being proliferated. But even then, it's not the same um, kind of care and curation that went into an old photo. Uh, so my point there is just that, that there's other transitions and other ways and services around even caring for new, new formats that are b- being created that we see opportunity in. Are you doing that now? There's a few things that we're looking at and Got testing. It. I, I know yeah. exactly what you mean because I happened to have discovered an old hard drive of mine when I was moving out of the office to work from home over COVID. I didn't realize how much of a of a treasure trove it was of old photos. I didn't realize yeah. how long Olivia and I were together until I found them. But there's no sense in any of it. All I'm doing is moving it off the old hard drive into a cloud folder that right. is either labeled family or work. And sometimes things get a little mixed up, but there's yep. no sense within it. And you're right. When my parents had photo albums, it was always this stage of your life or this event. And right. it made sense. Ours is just randomly just going in and looking. The reason that you came up with this was it was you and a buddy of yours. And the thing that you had was this constant entrepreneurial creativity. And you also told our producer, I had my head in the clouds all the time. What did you mean by as a kid had my head in the clouds creatively? So I come up from a family of entrepreneurs, small business entrepreneurs, I'd say. So like, you know, my family owned, my grandfather started a hardware store and then he started you know, a chain of, of floor covering stores from that. Um, and so I was like the creative black sheep of the family. I mean, I liked music and I liked art. I did terrible in all my other classes, did great in those. And I feel like I, one of the benefits that I had was that I had a, had, had a family and parents that said, that said, hey, how can you focus some of that creativity towards enterprise, towards, towards things that are entrepreneurial? And so I was always trying to cook up stuff. I was always trying, you know, I made comic books in elementary school and my own characters, but then I wouldn't just stop there. I'd photocopy them, you know, staple them and fold them and make issues. And then I'd try to sell them to my classmates. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff where I had my head in the clouds. I was always trying to come up with an idea and then figure out if I could market that idea. What was the soda business? I remember trying to figure out a product that I could sell. And this was before actually the comic book. And so I just sat in my parents' kitchen for a while. And I was like thinking of, is there any raw materials around here in which I could make something new with, you know? And finally, I was like, you know, I could mix Pepsi and orange juice and maybe that could taste good, you know? And so I'd mix these two things together and it tasted really weird. I'm sure it's not good at all, but I thought that's genius. Nobody's ever had something like this. And so what I did is I literally went and got all the plastic bottles from uh, my parents' recycling bin. And I bottled 20 of these things in plastic bottles, this concoction. I printed, I made labels in Microsoft Paint. So I made my own brand. I printed the labels, I cut them out, and then I I branded them. And then I filled my whole backpack with them and sold them for a dollar in front of my locker to try to get my friends to buy it until the principal shut me down. She was like, you know, you need a, you need some kind of health, you know, certification of, so, you know, I was, I was like, I was mortified as a kid. I'm like, I didn't know. Just Usually to when I hear juice. that, 
I hear the principal shut me down. I get indignant. In this case, it might've been for the better considering where the <laughs> bottles were and what you're putting in. But I would have liked for her to have encouraged you. You're lucky, Nick, that your family did encourage you. You had this idea for a shoe. What did your dad tell you to do? I loved basketball and skateboarding, even though I was terrible at both of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was like, you know, there could be a cool shoe that would be a combination of an airwalk and a basketball shoe. And so I sketched out the idea. And so I had this idea. And my dad was like, you should try to sell that to Nike. And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And so we literally went down. We had a gateway computer. So, you know, I don't, if anyone remembers, they came in the boxes with the iconic cow prints on them. But anyway, you had a gateway computer and we looked up, we had America Online or something and found a directory of business contacts. It was called Hoover's at the time. And you could find, you could find people's numbers. So we found Phil Knight, the CEO of Nike's number. And then as an elementary school student, I just kept cold calling him for like a whole week. And I'd get like a different receptionist every time. They were all politely told me that, that I couldn't talk to Phil Knight. And I never actually got through to him, but it was cool because one, one day I went out to my mailbox and I opened up and there was a craft brown envelope with an orange Nike swoosh in the corner. Uh-huh. And it was a letter and I opened it up and it was actually a letter from Phil Knight um, or his office anyway that said, you know, thanks so much for trying to send me these ideas. You know, unfortunately, I can't accept the idea, but we're so grateful that, you know, you attempted to reach out. That's so cool. That's the kind of thing that would make me feel like I'm not a viewer of this show that's called The World, but I can actively participate and step into it. If you can get into Phil Knight's life and get a response, then maybe the next time your idea could be better and you could get a better response and so on, right? Yeah, no, I, that's actually really important. It's funny you say that. I, I've never actually thought, thought about it that way, mm-hmm. but it was empowering. It was empowering. Even though I was turned down, I felt encouraged by it in even the sense that I could actually speak to another, speak to the person themselves and hear from them. I think I was really fortunate that I had family that would encourage me in those things. You eventually were building websites. The guy yep. who became your co-founder was doing what? Yeah. So my co-founder around the same time, I mean, we were both like 16, 17 years old at the time. Um, We knew of each other, but we weren't really friends at that age. So he was doing video work. And so he really loved, you know, videography and things like that. And he kind of discovered that his whole childhood, VHS, soccer games, everything were on these antiquated formats that you couldn't really watch anymore. So he started doing that for friends and family to make some money. Um, simultaneously, I was learning how to develop and make websites. I was learning Flash, actually. I had, a, I had an early copy of Macromedia Flash, and I was trying to teach myself how to, you know, animate and make a Flash website. So Flash. We, were both, we were both working on those things. Uh-huh. And Flash just would make sites... there was a hassle in it because it took a while for the pages to load and you'd often have to have some kind of interesting loading uh, uh, display. And there are other issues with them with it, but ultimately what you could create with it just looked amazing. I remember the first cartoon that a friend of mine created in Flash. It felt like he must have taken uh, art lessons and also learned and had the patience to uh, draw each cell. But no, it's not that. It was just Mm -hmm. telling the app, move the image from here to there and it moved and right. fast you can create an animation. Okay, no, so I get I, this. I remember 
Yeah, huh? I remember being excited animating a ball across the screen. That's the first thing I did in Flash. You know, it's like it moved. Yeah. It went from here yeah. to there. So yeah, it. it was it was neat for that. It was obviously the technology became irrelevant, but yes. So then, how did you end up partnering up? We went to the same college, um, and funny, I was a, I was a little older than him, um, and so. Uh, I was in a nicer dormitory. So when they, when he went to meet with the admissions people, uh, they said, Hey, do you know anybody that goes to school here? And he first listed his friend and they said, well, no, he's already, Pat's already in. He's got, he's got roommates. Do you know anyone else? And so he tossed my name out there cause he thought, well, you know, if I say this other guy, maybe I'll get in there and get in a better dorm. And so I had one open spot in my suite. It was like a suite of four, uh-huh. four of us. So anyway, they put us in the same suite. And, um, and, and we just started to strike up a friendship, um, in that, in that suite. And he had the idea of digitizing old media, right? Right. You said to him, I think we need a better website for it. Or at what point did it become we from you need a better website? Well, so at first we just decided, you know what, next semester, let's live together. Let's get an off-campus house. And so we got this real crummy off-campus house, um, like a block from our school. Um, And he started moving in all of his equipment to do this work for people. And he had a few jobs at the time too. And it was just his way of making spending money. Um, And so I started asking questions about it. I was like, what are you doing? Like, what, what is this thing? And so he explained the service and then he showed me his website and it was pretty pitiful. I mean, he made it like Microsoft front page. It had like a scrolling marquee. It had the flames. I mean, it was like really, it was really bad. Uh, and so anyway, I was like, man, do you need help with this? Like I've been doing all these websites. Here's this client work that I've been doing. Like I'd love to help. Um, and so that's really the first way that we helped is I, I just started working on a better website for him. Um, and, uh, um, uh, we went from there. And then when, when did you have the conversation that turned you guys into partners in the business? Yeah. So I, you know, I think the conversation was like, you know, so uh, Adam had gotten this early invite to, it was like a credit card offer for, that his parents got. It was like, here's $50 to advertise on this new platform called Google AdWords. And, and he was like, Hey, I got 50 bucks for Google AdWords. And Uh so I remember it was like a test and it was like, okay, let's try these ads. They'll show up in search listings and let's see if we get sales from that. And, and we did, we put 50 bucks in the Google machine and we saw a hundred bucks come back, which after you actually do all the work and ship it and everything is not, you know, you're not making a lot of money, but it, it was a start, you know, it was something. And, um, and so I think, you know, the first, you know, we sort of, we merged to a we over a period of time, you know, it mm-hmm. was like, Hey, you know, maybe we should try to advertise 50 bucks every day. You know, like let's not do this for spending money and just try to like get a few orders here and there. But like, what happens if we leave the machine on, mm-hmm. you know, could, could we, you know, could we get some consistent revenue? Um, and I remember that being very risky. I mean, I, I, I remember calling my dad and I was like, dad, we're going to spend 50 bucks a day on Google, but I think it's going to work. We ran the math. He's like, Nicholas, that's crazy. We're, you know, you don't have 250 bucks, to, you know, or you don't have, you know, whatever that is. Uh, 350 a week. week. You know, 350 a week to spend on Google ads. You know, how are you going to come up with that? And I'm like, no, dad, I think the math works. Like we've looked at it. Um, 
And, and we did. That's, I mean, that was how we slowly grew the company just through college was like, hey, 50 bucks works. Does 100 bucks work? Um, and each one was a big risk because we don't have outside money. We're literally spending the money that we're creating in order to grow this revenue channel is completely bootstrapped. And so um, the margin for error is very low. Um, so we really had to like hone our ability. And so that's when we really started working together a lot because I, a lot of that depended on the performance of the website. So we're going, well, we put all this money in. How do we improve our sales pitch on the website so that this money works better for us? And that's and really the first back and forth between me and Adam on growing. Was the site called South Tree right from the beginning? <laughs> no, it what wasn't. Was it, uh, it was it was Adam's it was Adam's initials. So it was uh, AMV video transfer, which is awful. Okay. Uh, and actually, you can find a cached version of it in the Wayback Machine, uh, like that saves old websites. I gotta find it. What um, is it called? AMV. AMV, which is Adam's initials. Uh, a M is in Mike. B is in uh, Base Logger. Video. Media. Media. Vi video transfer, or then we had like media. And then eventually, uh, we thought, well, this, this is a really silly brand. Um, and so we came up with Selftree. How'd you come up with Selftree? <laughs> so uh, well, we needed a cheap website domain. That was uh -huh. the first criteria. We wanted it to be um, broad because we didn't want to be pigeonholed into just converting VHS tapes to DVDs. Um, and, and we saw this trend where brands were taking like two random words and shoving it together and buying that domain name. Mm -hmm. And so we just made a list of two word phrases and we were like, that kind of sounds okay. How much is the website? And we, and so we found South tree and it was not expensive to buy. And that's, that's how we bought it. <laughs> I remember that there were sites that would just take any two words that you'd give them or a collection of words and just smash them together and tell you yeah. what domains were available. And yes, um, I think self tree makes a lot of sense. By the way, I'm looking at the earlier version of the site. Here it is $9.95 <laughs> per hour of video transfer to DVD exclamation point. There were a lot of exclamation points at the time. Um, <laughs> the site. It also says a Christ honoring long distance alternative. Oh, oh no, no. That's an ad on the bottom for $4.9 cents a minute long distance service, I guess. I don't know he what was reselling that is. at the time. That's, was he doing AdSense? Is I, that what I, that was? I don't know if it's an affiliate or not, but I, I actually, I remember that at the time there'd be these random phone companies that you could promote there and you go. they, they pay well. Okay. Uh, Look, all right. Let me take a I'm going to take a moment and talk about my first uh, sponsor and then come back into this. My first sponsor is a company called HostGator. I got to tell you, one of the things that I'm getting from you is Business doesn't have to be as intentional as I sometimes make it out to be. It could just be a fun, creative experience. Let's just try this. Let's try that. Let's see what sticks. Let's see what's exciting us. And then we go from there, which is one of the things that I love about HostGator. They've got this really inexpensive package that allows people to have unlimited domains hosted. You wake up in the morning, you have an idea. Yes, you do have to buy the domain, the whatever.com. Or, but then they'll host it for you for free. And if you want to do it under a subdomain, the way I did with uh, Andrew Warner, I would create like blog.andrewwarner.com, podcast.andrewwarner, sellingcars.andrewwarner.com. I don't know what it was, but it was a bunch of, anyway, they'll host it all for you for free. 
so you can be expressive, you can be creative, you can try things out, and yes, you can even kill them and move on. If you want to start out, I think there's no better way than to just actually start. And if you go to HostGator, they make it inexpensive so you don't have to spend a lot of money. They make it quick. I remember for me, it took about four minutes with my kids screaming in the background. I just tested it recently and it just works. Go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. Yes, they will make it easy for you. Yes, they will make it, uh, they'll give you the lowest price if you use that URL and they will even give you ad credit so you can buy ads for free the way that Nick did. So all you have to do, go to HostGator.com slash Mixergy. Was there another idea that you guys were kicking around that you thought would be a better idea than what became Legacy Box? Um, no. I mean, we always had we always had like different dreams in our head, um, but there were always these like great opportunities to keep pursuing within mm. within the lane that we were in. And so I think um, I think we felt like we should we owed it to explore like the, the opportunities that were being presented to us. Um, What was one of the ideas that stuck in your head and for a while you were thinking that would be bigger. I should do that. Yeah. We have really goofy runs around like logistics and shipping and stuff that still even come up to this day. Because Uh, we have such a logistics process. We do. We do. And Adam kind of loves it. He read this uh, book called the history of shipping containers. Um, So he just, he loves the topic. Uh Um, And, and, um, and yeah, we have a lot of deep experience with it because we obviously ship thousands and thousands of packages every day. And then we're also processing through thousands of packages a day. So we've learned a lot about logistics in the process of this. Um, but some of these ideas happened long, long time ago and have just kind of been incubated for forever. Um, yeah. So yeah, we've, we've had other things that we've thought of throughout that time, but um, the, the opportunities that were in front of us were always more compelling. And so we just kept making those next steps considering Adam's love for shipping and all the things that you were doing at the company, why is it that the last thing that you let go of was customer service? I'm, I'm imagining yeah. you still answering that 800 phone number that you had. I'm imagining yeah. you answering email. Why is it that that's not something you said, let's find somebody else to deal with it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we read this book early on that encouraged you to like write all the hats that you wear as a founder and, you know, you're wearing all these different hats, these different roles. And then as the business grows, you can start handing those hats off. Like you've already thought about them and articulated them. And so, you know, at first, the things that we delegated were the things that we just really didn't, <laughs> we didn't like doing. Um, so, you know, it was like, it was like shipping a box, you know. Um, it was, you know, th- it, was, it was those kind of things. Um, we hire our buddies for that. I think what we learned early on, though, with customer service was that was our lifeline. That was our direct connection um, to, to, the, to the judge of whether or not we were doing a good job. And we learned so much by listening to them um, that we hesitated to create that distance between us and the customer uh, because that huh. felt risky. That felt like somewhere where we would get a disconnect and we would lose some of the insights that, would, that were so valuable to us as we were kind of figuring out the model. And you didn't even think that you could maybe systemize a way for whoever answered customer service to tell you what was going on, to create a spreadsheet, email you bullet yeah. points? No. No, and, because, uh-huh. because a lot of times it was our judgment, right? It wasn't exactly what the customer was telling us, but it was by listening to them, it would reveal the opportunity. You know, so let mm. me give a great example. Yeah. Like, like 
for the longest time. So we converted everything to DVDs at the time. That was the technology. And we had this machine. It was called a duplicator. So it would make, you know, it would make all these other DVDs. Well, we had it listed on the site, DVD duplicates, you know, $4.99, get a duplicate. And we thought, of course you want a duplicate because you'll give one to grandma and you'll give one to your Uncle Bob or whatever. Yeah. But nobody bought them. Nobody was buying duplicates at all. And so we're like, it's so weird. I don't get why nobody buys these. And one day we're on a phone with a customer and they said, hey, I'm on the checkout. I'm about to buy, but like, where do I buy extra copies? I can't buy any extra copies. And we were like, oh my gosh. We've missed it. We're communicating to them in this technical language of what the machine is. It's a DVD duplicator, but nobody knows what that means. They would refer to it as extra copies. And so what we did is I immediately, like probably that minute, went and changed all the copy on the entire site to extra copies. And we quadrupled the number of extra copies we sold instantly. Like literally the next day, all this new revenue is coming in because we just were not communicating properly to our customers. Wow. All right. That nails it for me. I get it. What was the book that made you understand your different jobs as hats? I want to get those books too. Yeah. Yeah. The book was called E-Myth. I thought so. Um, E-Myth so Revisited, really, I think. Yeah. It's, it's a really popular one. Yep. Um, and, and that was such an important thing for us to articulate all those roles. Because I think, you know, as you're, as you're doing everything, you, you don't really distinguish when you're moving between yeah. those roles. Um, and so it helps you to actually clearly articulate, okay, I'm doing this piece of the job now. Um, and then it really did help tee it up for when we were ready to delegate. Because at each stage now, you have new requirements made of you as a, as a leader, right? Yeah. And you need to free up your time in some way. And so it's nice to go, all right, I already know what, what I'm going to do. I'm going to delegate this piece, this piece, and this piece of what I have been doing. And now I have more time to do these other things. I remember Noah Kagan, a friend of mine who now runs uh, sumo.com and AppSumo. He said, Andrew, you're not noticing all the things that you do. I want you to have a notepad open on one of your computer monitors for the week and just write mm. out what you do as you do mm -hmm. it. It was mm -hmm. really enlightening. There were little things that I did in between interviews to prepare for interviews afterwards, right. dealing with customers, dealing with the stupid service that we used to have for processing yeah. credit cards. And I didn't notice it because it's just one of those things you do. Right. And then, of course, you yeah. realize, well, I spent a lot of time with a credit card processing company. I should switch. <laughs> yes. And, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned how you don't necessarily need to be as intentional. Like you could just have, you could just have a business grow out of some of these creative processes. Mm -hmm. The only thing I will say, we, there, we were intentional in a couple of ways. Um, and, and I do think that's what created the difference between it being a, a little cottage niche kind of industry versus what it is today. Uh, one of the things was that we really did want to do things that we thought had scale or had potential to scale. So like, mm -hmm. Advertising on Google was fun and exciting because if we figured it out, we could hit everybody in the country. Uh, we never wanted to, you know, start advertising in our little college town. I mean, we, we just, it, it wasn't interesting to us. So I, I think we were enterprising in that way automatically. Like we wanted things that could scale. That's what we wanted to spend our time on it because it was fun. Like if we could figure that out, it could have a massive impact. So that was one piece of it that I think were really important. The other one that I, 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 feel like was a really key moment is when we we're staring, we had a PayPal shopping cart when we first started. And I remember staring at our PayPal balance after we had advertised on Google and maybe it had like a hundred or $200 in there. 
and we're trying to decide, well, what do we do? Do I give, you know, do you get a hundred bucks and I get a hundred bucks? Like, what are we going to do with this money? And I remember we're like, no, we should really do what's in the best interest of this company. We should think of the company as separate from us and let's do whatever's in the best interest of that company. And that should be obvious. Like whatever's the greatest need of the company we could argue over, but we'll have an answer. And it's not about what I want. And it's not about what you want, Adam. Um, and eventually, if we do that, if we nurture this thing, we'll benefit from it and our team will benefit from it and so on. And that was a really key moment. And it's funny because it's, it, it seems so logical now, but like when it's just two kids and you're just getting some spending money, like there was no separate thing to nurture. Like it, it's funny that we had, I don't know why we had that wherewithal, to be honest. But I do think those two keys, like doing what's in the best interest of the, this, this struggling little enterprise yeah. and doing things that could scale were probably the big key hallmarks um, that, that led us to a point where we are. And that would mean that if Adam needed extra money that month in order to keep going, it doesn't matter what your percentage split is, Adam gets all the money if that's what it takes. To, because having him live for the week well is good for the company. Sure. Or, or um, I mean, at the time, we both worked separate jobs, to be honest. And so that wasn't, so wow. we could separate out our personal, um, our personal needs for the first few years. And we didn't have a lot of personal needs because we're college students. Um, but, but, um, so, but, yeah, I mean, it was, I'll give you a, another example. Like, we worked in a garage. Uh, we were in Tennessee. It had no air conditioning. So I'm like sitting in that garage sweating every, every summer. Um, and it would be nice to go buy one of those like portable air conditioning machines and like cool the place down for myself. But, you know, if, if it was a choice between having the comfort of air conditioning in the garage and um, having enough money to try to spend on this new Google ad test that would create more uh, revenue, yeah. well, I'm going to go for the Google ad test. And I guess I can deal with it being hot in the garage. You know, the other thing I would think about getting started the way that you did is you're, you're handling people's most precious assets. Like I think yeah. about my, we were robbed. We live in San Francisco. It was bound Ooh. to happen just two days ago. We were robbed. It just Ooh. so frustrates me. The thing that they took are the two bikes that I love. Yes, I could buy better bikes, but I love those bikes that history for me and so on. Yeah. But if I lost photos, I would be devastated at the bikes. I've just right. put it out of my mind. And I know at some point I've got it to yep. do to get better bikes. I would yeah. so worry about somebody sending me their stuff in a box, knowing they have no backup. What if it doesn't arrive to me? What if when I ship yeah. it? Well, arriving to you, I guess, is the big issue. But maybe when you take care of it in the garage, it's too hot. Something could happen to it. Mm -hmm. How'd you deal with that? Yeah, I think that's something we took really seriously. And it's one of the reasons that we kept our, our, our line directly to customers. Um, so, and so we, we felt that, um, that responsibility directly. Um, and that's really where a lot of our innovations came from. I mean, that's where we changed how the service would work. Um, I mean, one of the reasons we created Legacy Box was so that you would have this engineered box that was safe and secure that we created. And then we partnered with UPS stores, so you could drop them off directly at the store. So it's actually a lot less legs as it goes from a UPS store directly to their sorting facility. And we actually, we have our own bin. Think about this. We have our own bin in the UPS facility here, uh, just like Amazon does uh, because, because of the total quantity. And they're, so they're handled entirely separate from the rest of the flow. 
Uh, but anyway, the, we just kept coming up with um, ways that we could um, prove the safety, security, and trustworthiness of our company to customers. Um, and yeah, so we've, we've, that has been a motto of ours for the entire time that we've been in business. Um, and listening to customers has greatly influenced um, what we spend our time on. Did you ever lose anything from a customer in the beginning? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm sure there was like packages that were misdirected and things like that. I mean, if there was any, if there was any um, risk, it's, it's with those carriers. Um, we'd do a great job once it was in our possession. Um, but we would do everything to track it down. I mean, we, we would go to the ends of the earth to actually figure out where that package might be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's been a few misdirected in, in mail um, throughout the history, but ultimately, like, it's incredibly safe. And I would argue that it's more safe uh, to do this than what people are doing right now, which is leaving them to, you know, deteriorate yeah, but, in their garages. But if it deteriorates in their garage, they blame themselves. If, it, <laughs> if anything happens on the way, they blame you. What was the name of the yeah, book of that, that Adam liked? Is it The Box, How the Shipping Container Made the World Smaller and the World Economy Bigger? Or Maybe. I thought it might have been that one. I thought it was like a history of shipping containers. History of shipping containers. All Maybe right, not. I'm not sure. I, keep I can get back to you. Searching that. everything that we're talking about. And one of the things that I noticed is your earlier websites instructed people to go and get Flash so they could see the, the content on the site. And sure enough, um, at some point you got rid of Flash. And then sure enough, extra copies was part of the marketing going back to when you used to have a PDF order form that people could print. And yeah. then tell you what they were looking for. And yes, on that PDF, right. there was a place for them to say, I want extra, here it is, extra DVD copies is $4.95 each. Yes. And yeah. they have to fill out the form. It's and a good moneymaker right for. there. I mean, yeah, people, imagine. Would, people would fill out a form and write their credit card on it and send it to a college off-campus house, you know, and... <laughs> That's because they thought that do. what the internet was so dangerous. We're talking about, uh, let me see what year they you did, had yeah. this 2009. And the internet was not yes. dangerous at 2009, not this no, way. No, I, they, they, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, they ha we've had, we had customers that felt more comfortable printing that PDF form than placing the order through PayPal. Yeah. Now, uh, now, of course, it's not true. Everything, everything, I mean, we have a beautiful site and everybody pays online, but. No, there's a there's an order form where I could write everything out and include my credit card information or yeah. enclose a and check or money order and put it in the mail and, and drop then it on. And then we'd go to one of those shredding services and shred all those because we had, you know. Did you really? You didn't do it yourself? Hundreds of, yeah. We, no, I don't think we ever shredder. I mean, there were hundreds of orders that would come in, you know, over months, period of time with people's credit cards actually written right on them. <laughs> oh, the risk involved in that. Uh, that's the kind of thing that would keep me up nights. Other things don't bother me nearly as much. I just don't want to, yeah. I, I found a few like old 1099s from people who I sent out at the company and I realized, I don't yeah. even want that. How do I completely get rid of that? Yeah. I don't no, want I know. that danger. I mean, I think, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a lot to lose at that point. You know, you're college kids, you don't have right. a lot to your name. I had, I had student loans and a 99 Jeep you know, and I was just shocked that people would send us their shoebox full of stuff and pay us to do it. Um, so, I mean, I actually remember we got some, something in the mail from the state of Tennessee. It was like, congratulations on your home business. As a reminder, here's the 10 rules for operating home business. And I remember we looked at it and we're like, oh crap, 
we don't follow five of these 10 rules. <laughs> <laughs> we had no idea. We were so ignorant uh, that, you know, now when things were, when we were made aware of things, we, we would immediately change them. But um, there was a little bit of ignorance there being a college student doing it. I want to find out about the new name of the company and then what happened for COVID and how you had to cut back at some point. But first I'll tell everyone, my second sponsor is a company called uh, Top Talent for Hiring Developers. Nick, do you hire developers? Do you have any tips for people about how to hire developers? Ooh, that's a hard question. I wasn't ready for that one. Yes, we do have a development team. Um, No, I don't have good, I don't have good tips on hiring developers. You know, why don't we talk about within, this is an ad for Top Talent, but (laughs) you had this one developer who worked with Shopify. What did you need done? Yes. And what yeah, was he no, able that's to a do? great. That's a great story. Uh, one of my, one of our roommates in college um, was a self-taught developer, and he started doing e-commerce stores for people mm-hmm. right away. And noticed that um, Shopify, which was new at the time, did not have a mobile app. And so he developed the first mobile app for Shopify. And he for, for uh, Shopify owners to update yes, their site. Yes, excuse me. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so it was for Shopify owners to basically administer and run their store. Um, and um, and then they acquired it. They actually acquired his app and hired him and he worked there um, in some of their earlier years. Um, but yeah, I mean, right away we talked to him and we're like, hey, do you think you could take this e-commerce backbone that you've created for these other uh, brands? And, um, and if you change it in these three or four ways, that would actually really help serve what we're doing. Um, and I think we only paid him like, I don't know, it's like maybe 2,500 bucks. I mean, maybe. Um, so he's incredibly generous, but he's like, sure, I'll do that. I'll change these things for you and give you, you know, my platform. And it made a huge difference. I mean, we saw revenues just go through the roof. Uh, the moment we had this nice e-commerce uh, store, uh, we got off of PayPal. Uh, we had a really smooth checkout. And then we actually had the bones, the initial bones for what would be our logistics piece of like how we actually manage orders once we get them. Because Shopify uh, so is thing. all about orders that are one way. Somebody pays you, Correct. you ship. Here they yeah. pay you. They have to then ship you something, right? right? And then the yes. order is fine. And then the order starts. Correct. Yeah. Which and causes a, what kind of issues? Yeah. Well, in, in the early days on PayPal, that was where it caused a lot of issues because PayPal would sit there looking for a tracking number. They'd be like, where's the tracking number for the product? And we didn't have one for months because people were packing up their stuff, sending it to us. Then we do our thing and then send it back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they would freeze our account every once in a while. They'd uh, be like, yeah. hey, until you upload some tracking numbers, uh, you don't get access to any of these funds. And then we kind of panic for a while um, and figure out a way to uh, essentially give them a tracking number so that uh, they would How'd you do it? How'd you figure out a way to give them a quick tracking number? We would generate the label for the customer before it, you know, before it was finished, ah. upload it to PayPal and say, here, here's the tracking information. <laughs> they'd, they'd unfreeze it. And then when we were done processing it, that's the, the exact label that we'd use. So Got it. we were kind of, we were manipulating PayPal in order to- Did your to, friend uh, help you set this whole thing up or was it uh, you guys uh, internally doing it? So our friends was to get away from PayPal on our own system. Got it. He allowed um, and, you to use Shopify before Shopify was- fully ready for a company your size to use them. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a little more complicated. He, he was, he created an e-commerce. It was actually just a proprietary e-commerce backbone that was that used like off.net and like other things, you know, um, but the same kind of, he, he used the same kind of code that he used for Shopify that he sold, that he sold to them. So we didn't actually have a Shopify store. 
um, when he gave us all that, when he, when he wrote that for us. But, um, but now, now we are. On I saw Shopify. that you're still on, you're on Shopify now. All right. All this yeah. to say, coming back to TopTal is when you find the right developer, they could work wonders. If you're out there listening to me and you've been dealing with a challenge that you've been wanting to hire somebody to take on, or maybe your team doesn't have enough time to do it, but you think at some point in the future they can, go to TopTal. They will find this ideal developer for you. They'll introduce you to one or two people that they think are the right fit. Often it's just one. And if you decide to hire them, you can often get started right away. I've had people who I've interviewed who hired from TopTal and use those TopTal developers for years and years and years and years because it's such a good match. So first thing you should do is go to toptal.com slash Mixergy. The second thing that you'll do is hit a button, which will set you up for a phone call with someone at TopTal. And then if you like the process and you want to hire from them, you can. Finally, if you decide to hire from them because you use my URL, which I'll repeat in a moment, they will give you 80 hours of developer credit when you pay for your first 80 hours and have a, a no-risk trial period. All you have to do is go to top is in top of your head, tal is in talent, that's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash M-I-X-E-R-G-Y, toptal.com slash Mixergy. And if you forget it, of course, it'll be in the show notes on the site. Hey, I keep looking at the old version of the site and I see the changes. <laughs> I, no, I can't help it. I, I love how it's like there's a big thing on it for a while that says established 2001, right? Sure. Um, 2008 hits afterwards, a big recession. Yeah. How do you guys deal with that? What happened to your business? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Uh, so 2008, um, you know, we saw our sales cut in half uh, the, moments, the moment those market, markets crashed. Um, and so, um, and by sales cut in half, I mean, I don't know, maybe we were, I don't know what we were doing in revenue is probably maybe a hundred thousand dollars a year or something as you know, which was a lot as a college kid. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so we, we just saw everything stop working. And, um, um, so we really had this make or break moment. Like, do we try to revive this thing or is this it? You know, was this a fun ride? And I guess this isn't going to work because all the math now on our marketing channel doesn't work, you know, and uh, we don't have any deep pockets or investors that are going to help float us through this time. Uh, so we actually went to, I think this is funny because we, we obviously knew it was serious. So we went to a conference room in the basement of the library at our school, which is funny because it's just the two of us, like we could have met anywhere, but we're like, Why'd no, we need that? Uh, it had like a whiteboard and it had like, it was quiet and it had a whiteboard and we could run through numbers and like, we just, we felt like it was serious. Um, and so we kind of went through different scenarios and what we landed on, we didn't have any of the language for this at the time. Cause like, you know, neither of us had accounting experience. We wouldn't been able to read financial packages. So we didn't really know what we were saying, but we were doing the napkin math. Basically our bet was, what if we doubled our Google ads right now? And if we double our Google ads, they're obviously not going to be as effective because we're, we just hit this recession. Um, but maybe we'll do enough in revenue to cover our fixed expenses and survive. And, and we didn't have the, the, I don't know how we would have described it then. You know, I think we were just like, look, if we spend twice as much and here's what we think could happen, that equals, you know, this amount of money that, that keeps us afloat. Um, so we made that bet. So we actually went, we said, yup, that's what we're going to do. We're going to we double our ad spend. We're going to double our ad spend, uh -huh. which is kind of nuts. Like that, that seems silly. Like the market's crashing. We're hitting a recession. You're going to spend more money. Um, 
so, so we did. We doubled our ad budget. And it was hard for the first few weeks because we were pushing money. I mean, we didn't have a lot in reserves. If we had a few thousand dollars in our business savings, that would have been a lot. So we're, we're pushing all that in to sort of like gin up our Google ads and gin up revenue. Um, but we started to see that that math actually worked out, that we, th that we um, sold more, sold enough that we cover our fixed expenses and we could ride it through. And then as the market picked up, we actually saw the growth from doubling our ad budget too. So it took like three or four months. Uh -huh. But as, after we rode that out, we covered our fixed expenses. And then as the, as the world economy you know, kept improving, uh, we saw the actual returns that we needed on that. Because the ads were becoming ad more budget. effective because people suddenly had more money to spend on things like digitizing their old photos. Yeah. Got exactly, it. yeah. Yep. All right, South Tree. Um, you you still own the domain. It's kind of interesting because when I even Google phrases that I imagine you guys are buying on um, uh, Google ads for, I see you competing against each other in ads because you yeah. still have both domains. You can buy yeah. uh, ads for both domains. But South Tree now is the company name. How, uh, excuse me, Legacy Box. How'd you come up with Legacy Box? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, we were about four or five years into the business and we had this just discussion. We were thinking, well, if we were going to relaunch the business today, what would we do differently? You know, what about the customer experience is still not great. Um, what could really make this experience stand out from what else is out there um, where people would look at it and just go, yes, that's the obvious choice. Of course, I'm going to go with legacy box. They've thought of everything. It looks great. Um, and so we went on this journey to, to outline what that experience would look like. Um, and one of those things was brand. You know, we're like, well, let's have a brand. Let's have a name that actually speaks to the value of what we're doing. Um, and we we're kind of fortunate that we jumped on box because like there's, there's a huge trend of boxes now. Um, but we were, we were sort of ahead of that curve. You mean um, the box? What's, what's the trend with boxes? Yeah, well, I just mean e-commerce. You can get everything in a box. Uh, you know, there's yeah, like yeah. birch box and you know, you know yeah. all, the, all the boxes. Bark box. Um, but anyway, um, so one of the things was brand. The other one was like the actual packaging. We're like, look, let's actually send them a kit right away in a box and let's take care of all the shipping. I mean, this is a headache for people. People don't like shipping from their house. They don't have all the stuff they need to package and send it in. Um, let's take care of the shipping label. People don't know where to go. I mean, we saw people that would go to the post office and spend $40 to ship this box to us. And we knew we could save them money that way. Like that was a silly way to ship it. Um, but they didn't know. They just thought, well, I gotta, I gotta send it. So I'm going to go to the post office. So like just, we just thought of every touch point. Um, and we relaunched it, um, or we launched the brand, I would, I should say. And, um, and you know, it just, it changed the whole business dynamic because how, all how of a sudden- How did you get to this? Before we get into yeah. how, how it changed, look at how freaking beautiful this is. Look at this. This is the, the, the first version of the site, right? Yeah. Look yeah. at like you're, you're capitalizing on the fact that you're taking old media, which has this sense of antique and beauty to it, right? right? In your design. And then you're showing us the box. Look at this. This is not just a box like you might get from Amazon, but a box with a handle. This is the box you used to send out to people, Yeah, which right. makes it feel like whatever's in there is even more special, right? Than a regular, right. you could have sent them a regular box, right? Yeah. It just has this feeling of this is old time leg, old time antiques 
our stuff is as revered as your stuff. The, yeah. the box you put it in is, how did you come up with that? This was, I see yeah. some evolution in your design, but this isn't you guys internally coming up with this, right? Would you hire an agency? No, not at all. Um, that's all us. It's all that's you. All actually, it's all us. And we had no design team at the time. So that was just me and Adam, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, um, and so uh, I did work with a photographer that I knew really well that helped make that photography that you just showed. Um, but I was on that shoot, you know, placing all the pe all the pieces of that. Um, yeah, I think that was part of it, right? So if you talked about trust, you know, early and people trusting you and we mm -hmm. thought, well, we have got to convey in all these touch points, the detail and the concern. And like, if we, if we go over and above, this was the goal, you know, actually I'll take it back to talking to customers again. In the earliest days, the question we kept getting from people is who are you guys? Are you trustworthy? Where am I yeah. sending my stuff? Yeah. And we thought, how do we avoid that question altogether? How do we look so great? How do we convey a level of thoughtfulness that completely avoids that question altogether? And I think that was one of the objectives in the brand and in the way that we presented the service and legacy box. It's why we put a handle on there. Like it's, it's something that you care about. And so it should have details like that. And if we're detailed in all these other ways, certainly um, uh, they'll trust us that we're detailed with all the, all the ways they don't see. Um, so yeah, that was part of the objective when we, um, when we set out to create the brand. Was, and so you were starting to say that it helped grow your sales. How did it help it, to grow your sales to have the design the way it was? Well, it's changed the, business well it changed all the math right it was so much more uh it was so much more um uh sticky of an idea in the in the minds of a consumer um they just they needed to buy that box like it sold a lot better um the mm. the average tickets that we were getting from customers all of a sudden were just much much better um and so um it changed uh it just changed all the unit economics of our business. And now all of a sudden we could grow and advertise in all new different ways. I totally get what you're talking. I'm going to mention one of your competitors because I guess they bought an ad that out that outranked you scan my photos. It sure. doesn't, it just looks like I'm going back 10 years on the internet. Even if I yeah. hit their live chat, it almost, I could have sworn that it said install uh, flash, but it doesn't. It's, <laughs> it says provider support. I don't know. It's really weird that right. you're going back and you're seeing an old Google Plus account link, which Google Plus is not right. alive anymore. It's actually a dead link to Google Plus. It says uh, 404 error on Google. I get yeah. why I would trust this design so much more. I'm surprised that it's so measurable for you. All right. And, and it was, it was, uh-huh. Well, I, I think one of the things we learned too early on was that our customers didn't care about technology. You know, like they, they cared about preserving their one of a kind home movies, pictures, film, and they were leaving it to us to figure out all the tech technical stuff around mm -hmm. it. And so that was the other piece of it. We need to communicate to them in the value that's important to them. And I do think that's still to this day, a way that we look, and distinguish ourselves from this, from our competitors that are speaking in this sort of technical jargon to people when, you know, it's worse than it's technical jargon. A lot of them are actually talking in SEO jargon. So you can see a <laughs> lot of like bad links to things on the site. Yeah, yeah. That it's just right. All right. Um, 2020 
doing okay. Then suddenly March, 2020 hits, people are in lockdown. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought it would affect your business. What happened to your business and how'd you deal with it? Sure. Um, you know, so yeah, another, it's like another 2008 all over again. And it actually felt very familiar to me and Adam. Um, and we're both kind of runners now. And, uh, and so we like, that's, I think that's where we work out the biggest business challenges. We're just, we go on a run and chew on things. Well, so COVID happens, lockdowns start occurring, school cancellations start happening. And we saw another situation where our sales just instantly uh, dove. Um, and they dove by, I don't know, I think it was a good 50%. 50% um, of your sales down. Yeah. And, wow. And, and again, like we are, you know, now, now of course we're doing well and we have, you know, we have, we're in a really great position financially as a company. So we can weather storms, but it's still not in Adam and I's DNA to bleed 50% for very long. Um, and it's not, it's not very sustainable for any business, no matter how great you are. Um, so, um, so yeah, this was another one of those situations where we go, okay, well, what are we going to do? And so, um, you know, first plan was how do you scale back? You know, what's the, what's the bad plan, which is how do you scale the company back? And so we just met up at Adam's house late in the evening and we're just like drinking whiskey and looking at numbers and figuring out how we would actually shrink the business in a way that would be okay. And that's not fun at all. I mean, nobody wants to go through that. What kind of things uh, were you shrinking? Basically everything. We actually went back in time to an old P&L when we were half the size that we are today. And we went through each account and we were like, okay, what was our budget for this category? Yeah. What was our budget for this? And then we basically had to go through what cuts you'd make in order to get back to that size. So, it inc- I mean, it was everything. Everything was on the table there. Um, from What's one of the hardest ones? To, yeah, give me space oh, I mean, the hardest. All the hardest ones that you would have to cut back would be people. Um, yeah. of course, but we never actually had to cut back. So we, we had that plan and it was sitting there and it was available. Um, and we thought, well, we don't want to do this plan. This plan would really suck. Um, so what else could we do? And so we kind of thought again on our, on, <laughs> we did a similar thing that we did in 2008. So we went to all of our advertising partners and we said, look, we're not going to cut spend with you. We'll keep our commitment. And at this time, you got to understand, advertisers are dropping like, fl- I mean, they're just dropping everywhere. Yeah, they stopped advertising. Ad rates started going down because nobody was t- doing it. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so for us to come to our advertising partners and say, look, instead of cutting our, our ad commitment to you, we would like you to give us, you know, two times the value for the money. And, and that'll make it work for us. And of course they have all this empty inventory. So they're going, all right, we'll take it. We'll take that deal, you know? Okay. And so that was one step that we did that instantly improved our, our, uh, you know, ad spend. Then the other thing we thought is, oh my gosh, these ad rates on all this stuff that we've wanted to test are now a lot cheaper. Could we go and buy a bunch of these other things that were cost prohibitive before and sort of see if, they work for us. Um, and so we did that as well. So not only did we stay on all the current marketing channels we were on, we actually tested some new ones too, because their ad rates were so cheap. And then of course people got stimulus. Uh, it was a little less scary. The market, mm-hmm. you know, you, I mean, our economy came back really quickly. And so now we're, now our sales are up, you know, huge for the year. And if you, 
if you zoom way out and you don't look at March, um, you would just go, wow, that's a really good year of growth for you guys. I'm looking at what advertisers would you have gone back to and said, we want more for our money. I'm guessing is Groupon one of them? I see you're still big with Groupon. You're still using affiliates through share sale, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're on tons of podcasts. We're on, you know, uh, offline radio and offline television. Um, and then, yeah, there's a lot of digital ad uh, partners as well. Facebook. I mean, we're, we're pretty much everywhere at this point. <laughs> I could see that. Uh, yeah. YouTube. What else are you on? Um, obviously, we've seen Google ads. You started doing ads on, on Ellen. Is Ellen working for you guys? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I actually don't know. I haven't uh, followed up. We have uh, this this great woman who runs all of our TV uh, TV ad buys for us. Mm-hmm. We did try it um, because obviously it's a pretty expensive show normally. But now uh, so, you're able to do it because there's more availability. Right. So we did try it. I'm not sure what ended up happening okay. with it, but but uh, I know uh, you know TV is another thing that's grown for us throughout this year. So that that might have been one of those tests that worked. What you at some point now are taking some money off the table. What are you investing it in? Where are you putting your money? Uh, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, nothing yet. Really? <laughs> I think, I mean, mostly just, I mean, mostly just securing it for our families. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's in the stock market. I mean, it's boring. It's in stocks and bonds. Um, and there's a little bit, so like there's a few little things here and there that we're um, looking at. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, Adam and I, like, I love, I love getting involved in businesses that already have some market validity and, and now they're looking for growth um, and looking at ways to reach customers in new ways. So we might dive in um, and make some investments. Um, Are like you an that. investor in Boostopia, which introduced me to you? No, 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 okay. we're not. Um, but, uh, but those are great guys. How'd you know them? They, they told me about um, your company. I couldn't believe it. If it's not for them, I would never have believed how big your business was. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, they, uh, they were connected. We, we connected through them through some um, entrepreneurial circles in, in the Raleigh area. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they helped us a lot with some of our systems for customer support. Yeah, you told me. Uh, he said sort of you were his first customer. This is Justin. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they helped us with all kinds of things, help center desks and getting, you know, getting our support ticket systems in place. Um, and uh, I mean, now we have, you know, we have a customer service team of 30 and we're dealing with thousands of tickets every day. All right. The website is, frankly, the website is whatever website you're using right now, because if you're on it, they're probably advertising on it. So just look to the left, look to the right, and you'll see them. Um, But if you want to go directly, go to LegacyBox.com. Congratulations on what you've been able to do here. This is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Thank you. And and beyond the size of the business, just to watch your business grow design-wise, to look at what it looks like now is just to watch people put more and more care into their business instead of just milking it and saying, this is going to go away. Yeah. Well, um, we want to double down into that. I think, I mean, we're not, uh, that's kind of what drives us is to keep making it, keep making it better. And that's kind of where we drive energy. So it's fun. And this is really what I'm about to show you. This is really your, your office space. This is not just clip art with your logo on it or something. Oh, come on. Yeah. Okay. That. Yeah. 
That's you. So that is our that is our production facility. So that's a couple miles from where I'm working right here. So we that's have some downtown go. offices. Uh-huh. Yep, that's where the boxes go, and it's a beautiful campus. That was a pretty uh, that was a pretty. I mean, the the care, by the way, that you're that you're talking about extends to um, you know the details of our you know the workspaces and the place that we work and and our employees go to. So if you could have seen the before picture of that facility, um, you can see uh, how how great it looks today. What's the flash version of this beautiful facility? All right, I don't know. <laughs> I have seen everything. It's coming else back. Developed. It's going to come back. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm, All just right. kidding. I'm just Legacybox.com. Thank you for doing this interview. And I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. If you're out there and you're trying to get a website built, you're trying to move your site to a, to a less expensive, but fully functioning and dependable service, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And of course, if you're hiring a developer, you know, by now go to toptal.com slash Mixergy. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye everyone.